0: This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Live link at thetrumpet.com as well. I'm Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here today also. Grant, you were telling me that this morning, uh, very cold, I think we were down to like five or six degrees. You had had some frost on the car and uh, you can take it from there.
1: Yes, and uh my wife gave me this idea to just dump a bunch of water on the windshield and that would make all the frost go away, which it actually did for a few seconds, but then it's frozen solid and it still is like <laughs> an hour or 2
0: later. So uh yeah, it didn't it didn't work for very long. That's the thing when it's that cold, it'll it'll freeze up on you. Uh one time I was driving years ago back up uh north in Wisconsin, very cold, very cold day and uh they put a lot of salt on the roads, and that stuff gets kicked up onto your windshield, and it makes this really nasty film sort of. And it was it was nighttime. I was in town, and uh, the lights and the headlights, everything's hitting your windshield, and you've got this salt there, and it's just really hard to see. So I, I cleaned it with the f- wiper fluid, which, which smeared it and instantly froze. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had – thankfully, the heater was going, so it cleared in a moment or two. But you have – or I had that – moment of, I can't see anything. And it's terrifying. <laughs> but in those cases, typically just keep going straight and don't freak out.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I actually did try the, the wiper fluid a few minutes ago too, uh, which it did clear off the side that I didn't dump water on. It was totally fine for that part of it, but I think it made the side that was frozen even worse. So it's not it's not going too well for me so far today as far as dealing with frozen windshields. That's love though, right? You just You you say, you know what, this probably defies science, but I I trust you, and I'm going to just try what you say.
0: Maybe she was trying to cause you problems, (laughs) Maybe.
1: I'm going to have to ask her about that.
0: (laughs) You think it's cold here, you should be over in Russia. Eyelashes are freezing. 88.6 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. In Yakutia, it's a region of one million people about uh, 3,000 miles east of Moscow. Students routinely go to school even in minus 40 degrees. But school was canceled Tuesday throughout the region, and police ordered parents to keep their children inside. So you know it's cold if you have to stay home, and you usually go when it's negative 40. (gasps) You you can imagine the kids, like, it's not too bad today. What is it, like 20 below? (laughs) In the village of Oymyakon, one of the coldest inhabited places on Earth, State-owned Russian television showed the mercury falling to the bottom of a thermometer that was only set up to measure down to minus 50 degrees, so they couldn't go any lower. Uh, in 2013, they recorded an all-time low of minus 71 degrees uh, Celsius, so minus 98 Fahrenheit. Over the weekend, two men froze to death when they tried to walk to a nearby farm after their car broke down. Oh. So uh, we're we're a little cold here, but nothing like uh, this. Godforsaken place in <laughs> Russia
1: well remember I said recently I wanted to just experience what negative 40 was like one time like going up to Minnesota or Northern Canada well forget about that why don't I just go over there and, and see what negative 86 is like I Oof. mean that just that just defies any sort of like thought how could you even imagine how cold that would even be
0: yeah they they have to keep the fires going and their heating going because that is just that's unbelievable. <laughs> how cold that is. Um, there's a lot in the news about uh, the president, per usual, and he had a, a fitness exam the other day. And it uh, turns out he's fit, I guess. And so we're going to take a look at that <laughs> exam here in just a minute. But uh, I was thinking about fitness and health and, and uh, here's an encouraging note. If you're uh, getting getting a little older and you still want to get out maybe and play sports of some kind, but you don't move like you used to, this is uh, from ESPN. They're talking about uh, a well, renaissance, but they combined a Dirk Nowitzki's name with it, so it's a Dirk Assange. <laughs> you know Dirk Nowitzki from the Dallas Mavericks. They say Dirk Nowitzki is back, and he's a big reason the Frisky Mavs are 12 and 13 over their past 25 games. No player has ever been this impactful while having such a hard time like running and walking. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they wrote. Seriously, zero in on Dirk during his first stint of each half, and you'll catch him sneaking in a deep knee bend, some old man calisthenics, when he's away from the action. So he can barely move, but he's shooting at a 50-40-90 clip almost, 50% from the field, 40% from threes, 90% from free throw line, which is like the golden standard in the NBA. And he can barely move, but he's tall and he can still shoot, so... So, so stick with it. Stick with the rec league. This guy can barely move. He's still out there having an impact in the NBA. It really
1: is unbelievable. I've, I've watched a few of their games this year, and he sometimes has to play the center position. So he's going against these bruising giants, too. And you'd think they would just totally abuse him and push him out of the way and score every time, but he holds his own pretty decently in there. Obviously, it's not ideal for him to guard centers, but he does it pretty admirably, and then he goes down the other end, and they have no chance to
0: guard him. So it's quite a big mismatch there. He's got that, that German DNA. He's just just a fighter. keeps going. So good for Dirk. It's uh, maybe inspiring for some others. I think he's, boy, he's got to be close to 40.
1: You have to love that guy. Yeah. I mean, he just always is uh re-signing with the Mavericks he takes a discount on his on his contract just to stay with one team he persevered and won the championship there uh, a few years ago about five years ago so uh, he's definitely uh, one of the last of that dying breed of guys who truly is loyal to where he plays
0: one of the saddest things about Dirk Nowitzki for me is that my Milwaukee Bucks drafted him and then and nobody knew who he was At the time and not not the common fan I'm obviously executives knew who he was but they traded him on the draft day for Robert Tractor trailer if you don't remember Robert Tractor trailer (laughs) he was just a giant man that was famous for breaking a backboard (laughs) and that's about all that he did in his career and he's not even alive anymore wow so that was one of the worst (laughs) trades in NBA history Dirk Nowitzki Top 50 all-time Hall of Fame champion for Robert Uh, the Tractor Trailer. That is quite lopsided. There have
1: been some examples like that where – if you're the general manager and you pulled off a deal like that, you just want to kind of like sneak into the background and hope that no one looks at it 20 years later because I mean, didn't people pass up on Michael Jordan and like even, even Kevin Durant was, wasn't drafted first overall. It was Greg Oden who had so many injury problems. He was only in the league for a few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just seems like there's, there's deals like that all the time on draft night where either a team skips over someone they obviously should have taken or they pull off this trade that backfires too. I think even Kobe Bryant was part of a draft night trade. I mean, blotty Devats. Yeah, it's just uh man, you look at that in hindsight and you wonder what those guys were thinking, but obviously you can't always project something like that.
0: No, you don't always know. So, uh anyway, good for Dirk. Give, give us some encouragement if we're aging as well. We all are.
1: That's a that's Milwaukee's championship too. Yeah. The
0: one he won with Dallas. <laughs> we'll play, we'll <laughs> claim that one also. So President Trump, he got top marks on the Montreal Cognitive Assessment in uh, the medical exam. How will you score? That's the question. <clears throat> you can take it online if you'd like to. It's basically to determine if you have dementia. <laughs> so he didn't have it. Well, wait. Is
1: CNN going to cover this?
0: Uh, They now are focusing in on the fact that he's a little overweight, I guess.
1: Oh wow. They just always shift it, don't they? Yeah, they were they were so obsessed with saying that he's mentally unfit for office. Now he's clearly proven that he's not, and they have to go on to something else.
0: Yeah, he, he uh obviously passed the test with flying colors. I think he had a perfect score on it. Uh it says he President Trump scored a perfect thirty out of thirty on of the Montreal cognitive <laughs> assessment, otherwise known as Mocha. I like Mocha. It's <laughs> delicious. Wait a minute. What is this for? <laughs> uh, I've been tricked. <laughs> the president scored a perfect 100% on the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. It's a 30-question task created by medical professionals to test for dementia, and it's designed to assess attention, memory, concentration, orientation, visual skills, calculations, and executive functions. So they, they have the test online if you care to take it. Um, some of the questions are uh, you have to name some uh, animals correctly. They have different shapes. You have to be able to pick out a lion, a rhinoceros, and a camel. Hmm. It's pretty straightforward there, but <laughs> obviously it's some sometimes it's a struggle for people. Uh, you have to draw a clock, including all of the numbers, and set the time to 10 minutes past 11. So that's something that you could most people could do if they're beyond kindergarten, I think. Uh, and then you, you have to uh, color in different sides of a, of a cube, it looks like, and a few other things. Um they do some memory memory uh tests where they give you uh five words face velvet church daisy red, and you have to repeat it back in some fashion make sure you get them all and you get three chances oh huh. so anyway that you can take it if you if you're concerned uh about your uh mental state but uh it's it's online <laughs> so but then yeah now they're focusing on uh the fact that i guess he is a little overweight and uh I saw a headline saying that he's overweight and doesn't exercise like most Americans. But then the picture was of him playing golf. I'm like, but that is exercise. I mean, I know it's not super strenuous, but that's that's, that's exercise.
1: Yeah, that's definitely exercise. That's tiring to do 18 holes of that too. And uh, I'm sure that that is actually more than a lot of Americans are doing.
0: Well, it's funny too because, you know, I thought a big movement was the anti-body shaming movement you know, you can't talk about somebody being too big or whatever. But if you're a leftist, I guess you can't have your now, body shamed. Now they're they're making fun of that side of things and I thought, Well, I thought it was body shaming though. You can't <laughs> it's all these different ideologies, they just kinda of run into each other, but so anyway, that's uh if you want to take that, that test online and see how you're doing, see check your mental state, um <laughs> go for it.
1: I he's not that bad. I mean, it's just it's just a little bit nitpicky at this point to to delve into these issues where he's obviously not morbidly obese he's not he's not having any trouble getting out of bed in the morning i mean it's it's just a really really minor thing to, to try to nitpick right now
0: yeah it's uh it's interesting i i've taken a few um iq tests online and i think they're there to make you feel good because if you didn't do well, why would you ever take them? And uh, I, I never, I don't know the accuracy, but I'm always like a genius. But I think everybody is, so I always think, come on, because I know that can't be true. <laughs> so I always figure like, there's got to be more, more to this than meets the eye. Um, I know we took IQ tests in grade school, but they never told us our results. Did you, you ever take one and get your results back?
1: Not that I recall. Yeah, that's it's never really been uh, something I can remember being a part of any of the schools I've been to. Hmm. I do wonder though why president trump ended up taking this was he is this something that every president has to do or was this something that he was just so fed up with the media saying he's insane all the time that he decided to prove it it wasn't true
0: yeah it could be i didn't didn't get all the details on that but yeah they kind of put an end to it Hopefully, yeah on some level uh california of course is is a lot of uh, a lot of division there as far as politics and so forth And there's been talk over the recently, especially about them maybe seceding from the union and all that. I don't know that they would do it. But now there's a new idea from this from Fox News. A new California movement seeks to divide the Golden State in half. Two men have launched a campaign to divide rural California from the coastal cities, motivated by what they refer to as a tyrannical form of government that doesn't follow the state or federal constitution. Uh, Unlike the failed 2016 campaign to split California into six states, the New California Movement, founded by Robert Paul Preston and Tom Reed, seeks to consolidate rural California into a distinct economy separate from the coast. Uh, they say citizens of the state live under a tyrannical form of government that does not follow Calif- the California and U.S. constitutions. The founders have evoked Article uh, 4, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution, I don't have that memorized, <laughs> as a justification for establishing a new economy with a new state constitution. Uh, it states that a consensus must be reached by the state legislatures of California as well as Congress. The process, according to new California representatives, could take 10 to 18 months. I think that, I think, I guess these are more the conservatives that want to break off from the liberals, but uh, so they all want their own area.
1: And that's, uh, that would definitely make sense because if you look at the, the issues to California is dealing with right now, they are incredibly daunting. The mass illegal immigration. They have more poor people in their state than, I think I I read it was like more than any other state, all the other states combined, maybe. I mean, they really are having some issues. Their housing is unbelievably unaffordable. They're having an issue with um, giving people jobs where, I guess they've even tried to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour in the next four years or so, which is only going to lead to more people losing their jobs, if you just look at that from a basic economic standpoint. Uh, the, the list goes on and on and on. They're trying to have some sort of climate accord with China, what, separate from the entire rest of the U.S. Uh, it's really just on the verge of insanity what some of these liberal leaders are leading the state into. Why Why wouldn't some of the conservatives want to break off from that?
0: Yeah, the only problem is they've got the the coasts are beautiful. Don't give up the coasts. They
1: take. They do tend to take the most
0: beautiful areas. Yeah, that's too bad. Of course, the rural areas can be pretty nice as well. There's a story, another story from California today about a illegal uh, that was up there and killed two officers a few years ago, and just uh, has come up for trial, I guess. And he began the proceedings by having a profanity-laced tirade, saying that he would kill anybody else that gets in his way and as soon as he gets out of jail he's going to kill again and why waste time with a trial that's what he said and i thought well i don't i mean i know california and a lot of the states i don't know what the stance is on the say the death penalty but at some point um why don't you just put an end to it i mean that's that's obviously unrepentant that
1: does sound like someone who would also kill people in prison yeah. before he even got out. I mean that's someone who's clearly always the rest of his life going to be a danger to other people's lives, so you might as well just end it.
0: He's just not in his right right mind. So it's it's always interesting to see that, um especially when and that does happen. People come to come up on trial and they say, Yeah, why are we wasting our time? I did it. I do it I'll do it again. It seems like that, that should they should save a lot of money and be done with that situation. Mm-hmm. But anyway, some of those problems there. Here's an interesting story from Canada. Uh, Technology, of course, is changing and evolving. There's been a lot on thetrumpet.com recently about the really the invasion of social media and some of these things into people's lives. Uh, One of the concerns is just the data collection, what kind of data are agencies collecting on people. It says, Welcome to the neighborhood. Have you read the terms of service? The L-shaped parcel of land on Toronto's eastern waterfront known as Quayside isn't much to look at. But before long, Quayside may be one of the most sensor-laden neighborhoods in North America thanks to Alphabet's Sidewalk Labs, which has been working on a plan to redevelop the area from the ground up into a test bed for smart city technology. It's being imagined as a sort of place where garbage cans and recycling bins can keep track of when and how often they're used, Environmental probes can measure noise and pollution over time. And cameras can collect data to model and improve the flow of cars, people, buses, and bikes throughout the day. Generally speaking, the idea is that all of this data and the newfound insights its analysis could yield will help cities run more efficiently and innovate at a faster pace than they do today. But people are concerned about all this data that's being collected it's kind of like the social media. Build it and we'll see what happens. And now we're seeing what happens and it's not great. And they're admitting that with this idea of a smart city. Like, well, we don't know exactly what will come of it, but let's just get a lot of data.
1: It does sound similar to what's happened in a lot of nations, like uh, even France recently, where they have people have willingly given up some of their liberties in exchange for the promise of more security, for example. In this case, it's like, I guess, more environmentally friendly measures are we willing to give up our uh privacy for that though is that something that is worth uh you know even taking away the jobs of someone who might take out the trash or whatever uh whatever they might be doing there to maybe automate some of these processes i don't know i mean i it, probably the trade off isn't
0: worth giving up all that privacy yeah, and sometimes it's better to not know everything about people um They want to maybe try this in some cities, uh, including Dublin, London, Dubai, and Seattle. The Canadian government is soliciting pitches for more smart cities across the country and has promised up to $80 million to communities competing in its Smart Cities Challenge Prize. So uh, more and more you see this, where all sorts of data are being collected on people. And uh, what happens to that data? Is it something where you can be completely controlled by a government agency. I think that's probably what people are sort of afraid of, big brothers watching that idea. And, and uh, I think there's a reason to maybe pause and think about it before jumping into something like this.
1: Yeah, really. I mean, that's who knows if maybe people could eventually start getting prosecuted for maybe not living up to some of the standards that are being imposed by these certain cities. Obviously, Not using your trash can enough or whatever it is isn't the most serious offense in the world. But for some leftist leaders especially in the environment is like God and they they really take that that stuff seriously. So if they have all this data on all these different people, they might say, well, look, you, you haven't been doing your part to keep our environment clean and to make sure that you're contributing to the city in that way. Here's the fine you have to pay now. What if that becomes the next step? All sorts
0: of things that we probably haven't even conceived of that could happen from something like this. Uh, So you have people saying, I uh, I think this is too much data being collected, not happy with it. And then other people say, well, we still have to determine how much privacy people have with the data, but we need to collect it all first, which is, you know, how are you going to control that? They say the whole point of a smart city is that everything that can be collected will be collected according to Al Jadari, the director of privacy at Stanford University's Center for Internet and Society in California. He argues that if smart cities wanted to give people more control over their privacy, by default, they wouldn't collect any data. Instead, current proposals tend to put limits on the use of data only after it's already been collected and the damage is done, he says. And, and we all are familiar with that from lots of our online activity. Like, you know, your bank will say, we won't share your data or uh, other sites will say something like that. And you have to hope that that's the case, and you have to hope that they don't get hacked. But uh, now, I mean, that's kind of the way that some of these are, people are looking at this uh, data collection, is, well, we'll collect it all, but we won't probably use it. Well, here's hoping. But <laughs> lot, we've seen plenty of cases. Well, for example, they talked; they have us right up here about this year's worst breaches. Uh, Equifax they had 146 million people have their information taken. Three billion user accounts were compromised in Yahoo, and 57 million people affected by the Uber breach. So even those companies, they didn't, they weren't going to necessarily share people's data, but it got taken anyway.
1: Yeah, it's either either it gets taken, or sometimes uh, a lot of us we don't necessarily know we gave permission to these companies to share our data, and then all of a sudden we end up getting ten times as many emails. I don't know who who's the one to uh, blame for that, but why is it that all these companies end up contacting us sometimes after after we do a transaction online despite us never knowingly giving permission i mean it does data tends to get around apparently uh, p- people or companies tend to share it a lot of the time
0: yeah well you can just imagine even let's say somebody lives in a smart city for their whole life and then they they want to run for political office and then everyone's all the opponents start digging to try to find stuff on you. You've got all this data on somebody. I mean, what human being on this earth could you find that never did something that they couldn't point at and say you shouldn't have done that? I, I don't think there'd be anybody if every moment was captured. Uh, you know, again, that's just that all that information could be very damaging to people, whether they did something wrong or or just is spun to look bad. You know, if somebody's watching you every second of the day, that's that's a pretty unnerving thing.
1: That's just one of the consequences of an increasingly digital, technological world in general. Just that all of our all of our actions online, uh, for one, can be tracked. And now, I guess there's other measures for that that are kind of difficult to understand. But just there, the extent of all the data you could share and the record that you could keep of every little thing that somebody does. Uh, it is a bit much. Why can't we just stick to good old-fashioned law enforcement where people, if you commit a crime, you do the time instead of having all this data that's there just in case someone might want to get back at you at some point in the future. I mean, that's the potential consequence of something like this.
0: Yeah, blackmail. Yeah, Daily Mail has a write-up about something here, too, to consider. This is Amazon's creepy plan to put a camera and microphone in every bedroom with launch of the $120 or, I guess, well, 120 euros is what it costs over there, so it'll be a little more here, uh, Echo Spot Smart Alarm. So you put this in your bedroom, it faces you, it faces your bed, so you can see the clock and everything. It's the latest addition to the tech giant's family of devices powered by Alexa. Each device has a camera and a microphone for making video calls. So that's great because you could just sit there and call somebody. But there is a camera and a microphone pointing at your bed all of the time. Um, I don't think you need to think too much about some of the problems that could occur <laughs> the a situation like that. But, again, how do you know it's not on, it's not collecting data? Uh, again, you got to think about some of these things. I mean, we all have probably... Well, a lot of us have smart devices that are probably all over our house. But if nothing else, if it's a phone, you know, you set it on your desk; it's probably pointing at the ceiling or something. But this thing's actually pointing directly because you because it's an alarm clock. You want to see it, so um, it's 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 worrisome, and <laughs> and, I, and I think uh, you know that's that's the age that we're living in, and and again. It, Who's to say that somebody can't get a hold of this data and use it in whatever way they want?
1: There are some people who have already been for quite some time putting like a, a post-it note over the camera on their laptop just because a lot of time people just tend to leave that thing open. It's The camera's facing the rest of the room, so it's already like a camera is uh, built in to surveil the room if someone's able to get control of it. That's, I guess, the main question. But I guess this is more even more open. This product is meant to have a camera in every room and it, they're not even trying to, uh, hide that aspect of the device.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, the, something happened just recently here in Oklahoma. I saw it on the news the other night, uh, a couple of city officials in a small town, somebody recorded them with their phone, uh, secretly, I assume. And every, most people carry around a smartphone. And if you cared to, you could turn on the recorder and record. And they caught these people making some jokes that weren't appropriate, racially based jokes. Two people, I believe. So it gets out, gets released to the public, and so now there is a big lawsuit, and they 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 think it's the entire city's like this conspiracy and this racial thing. And uh, I doubt that's the case, but I was just thinking, okay, if you record everybody's conversation all day every day, who's who's going to go before the The jury and say, play it back. No problems. I've never said anything. (laughs) Never once. And so, uh, you know, I don't know what the motivation was for the person recording them, but obviously it was done sort of secretly, which I don't even know if that's legal. But anyway, it got out there. And you just have to think about that a little bit. I mean, if you're living above reproach, it's not that big of a deal. But still, nobody wants every word recorded or every moment videoed.
1: Well, those are the speech police. And they always say, well, if you don't like it, make sure you don't say anything that you wouldn't want people to hear. The problem with that is everyone today has their own personal truth. Everyone has their different standards of what's okay to say. Uh, So you might be saying things that are completely within even the bounds of God's law. They might be it might be edifying truthful speech, but if you have some politically correct social justice warrior who might hear it, they would be very offended by that. I don't think anyone, no matter what they're talking about or with whom, would be pleased if it got secretly recorded and released to the public, because there are things you say off offhand or you say in jest that could be taken out of context or Even if you're having a deep discussion about something important, what if someone hears that who happens to disagree with you? The the consequences are endless, and we've seen that repeatedly where people uh, get exposed. They get their personal messages posted on a social media site, or they, they get this type of a secret recording put out there for all to see. And then people just rush to judgment, not thinking what it would be like if someone did the exact same thing to them.
0: Yeah, nobody wants to live in that world where every little thing is being uh, recorded and held against you. Now, obviously, the Bible does talk about the fact that God knows what we say, and He He uh, <laughs> He has a record of what we say, and that we'll be you know judge for every word. Well, have, we'll be held accountable for every word. So that that's more than enough. And it, God's a just God. So, but uh, now man is starting to sort of take that role on, where they're going to listen to you. You know, even even if it's not say inappropriate like you mentioned uh some conversations are just private they don't need to be public i mean even as a as parents you know you'll talk privately every parents a parent group of parents will about their kids and what they you know well maybe we should help them in this way or you know they need to improve this so, you know you you think about it and you talk about how to do that it's not a conversation you want the world to hear or even your kids to hear because mm-hmm. it's not that it's a bad conversation it's a private conversation and something should stay private.
1: And what if in that conversation you bring up something like spanking the child for doing something wrong? There are a lot of people today who would easily be offended by something like that. I mean, it doesn't matter what is being talked about, what the context is. Someone is going, someone on Earth is going to disagree with whatever it is. That's that's the complicated part of it, and um, the the motivation. Is very different between God hearing all of our words and man hearing all of our words. Do you think anyone who secretly records someone and releases it to the public is doing that for that person's praise? To, to try to uh, uplift the person who had been secretly recorded? Or is it to bring them before the, the court of public scorn and ridicule? I mean, obviously, it's it's to make the person look extremely bad and potentially ruin their career, ruin their lives, God keeps track to hold us accountable, but also to just, in the future especially, teach us what is right and what is wrong and give us those guidelines so we can become perfect like he is. It's not to expose us in front of every person in the entire world. Obviously, a very different motivation, and we can be uh, comfortable in the fact that God's not just going to try to take what we say in private and destroy our reputations with it.
0: Yeah, there's a court of law, and there's a court of public opinion, and... You know, if, if somebody is uh, suspected of a crime, what do they always do? They tell them, you know, they read them their rights. Anything you say, can and will be used against you. You know, you have a right to a lawyer. And basically, if they're smart, that's when they shut up <laughs> until they get representation. <laughs> but you don't have that in these other cases. No, nobody read anybody any rights. It's just, uh, well, and, and they may not even say be in trouble with the law, but like they'll lose a job or, or you know, something will happen. And like you say, nobody... Re- records data and releases it and says, wow, they did something really cool. Nobody knew about it. Like, look at how good this person is. Nobody cares about that. It's always the I gotcha moments. Mm-hmm. So if you're collecting data 24-7 on people, you're going to have probably probably get a couple of I gotcha moments. I don't really care who it is. You're probably going to have a have something that you don't want out there publicly.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. We. I mean, I'm just thinking about how this would <laughs>
0: hurt me. I mean, I would
1: probably have gotcha moments numerous times every single day. I mean, if... If the, I guess if the thought police or the speech police were far left, which they normally seem to be, they would disagree with just about everything I might say throughout the day. And there could be a lot of punishments brought to you, at least through public opinion. It's just a really dangerous path to start down because the people who are exposing others right now might think that that's okay. Um, they They might be in favor of it, but what if it turns on them? What if... What if someone they disagree with tries to start exposing everything that they're saying in private? I think there actually are some good some some instances where if you try to hold um, authority figures accountable, like there have been videos where uh, there have been private recordings of like uh, people at abortion clinics talking about what actually happens, the public needs to know about that. Um, that might be a, a rare exception, but to just, to just try to expose people's private conversations regardless of what they are. There's not much justification for it, and people would obviously hate that if it turned on them.
0: Shows that maybe uh, we should all be mimes. That way you never never can. Mouth it. (laughs) Never say the wrong things. Uh, Make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today. The top story today is North Korea, truly an isolated state? That's a question by Jeremiah Jacques. A look below the surface shows that the North is receiving some vital support from other nations. And you don't even have to look that far anymore. Here's a story that's breaking today from the Daily Mail. North and South Korea agree to form their first joint Olympic team and march together in the opening ceremony under a unified flag. The two Koreas have agreed to form a combined women's ice hockey team. Wow. I didn't even know they had women's ice hockey. Yeah, that's amazing. Their athletes will march together under a unified flag at the opening ceremony. Both sides held rare talks on Wednesday amid a thaw in inter-Korean ties. So unless something changes between now and the Olympics, you're going to have a Korean women's ice hockey team.
1: That is absolutely astounding. I don't think that's even necessarily um a bad thing. I mean you don't want to normalize the North Korean regime necessarily, but of course South Korea wouldn't be trying to do that. They're just extending an olive branch, and that's a reason for hope in a world like this where there are people, there are, you know, like blood feuds, deadly conflicts all around the world, peoples who have not been reconciled for generations. This could be really an example of how to have peace.
0: It would be interesting to see how it, how it proceeds? I think the article was kind of funny that they said there's a thaw in their relations <laughs> by making a women's ice hockey. You don't team.
1: want to thaw on the ice. <laughs> no, you don't
0: want to thaw that out. So anyway, that was, yeah, that was it was funny. I saw that headline, and then I I checked several different sources. I was like, because I didn't want it to be inaccurate. And uh, but it's it's all over. everybody ESPN's reporting it. CNN's on it. Uh, I got this off of uh, I think it was the the Daily uh, Mail had that one. So it's being reported from multiple sources cuz I couldn't believe it. I'm like, "Really? Is that is that for real?" But that's what they said that was announced today, so anyway, we'll see how that all that all goes. Um it's going to be interesting. Uh
1: those two nations are technically still at war based on the uh official treaties that take place after war's end. The Korean War just ended with like a a temporary ceasefire. It didn't it didn't end with like a a peace treaty. So Yeah. Um, for them to come together like this uh, truly is astounding. At this point, I wonder if they're going to want to go back to the North Korea. Huh. That's that's the hard part. Those North Korean players are going to realize uh, how bad their country
0: has it. Yeah, it's really fascinating because the whole thing in North Korea is that the people don't know what's going on. I mean, the government really controls it, so they don't understand the outside world very well. From what people that have escaped have said. So these people are going out into the real world a little bit and they're going to be exposed to things I'm assuming, I'm assuming they'll see things, they'll see the internet, they'll see different things. It's really interesting because you wouldn't think you wouldn't think the regime over there would like that because then you now you've got people coming back that know uh maybe what we hear inside isn't exactly what's going on. And the North Korea propaganda would probably be fairly exposed. Mm-hmm. So I just have to wonder. It's this could be really interesting. I just have to wonder, like who's all behind this? If like China's encouraging it, or you know, uh, just just what what the game plan is here? Because if it was just about the North Korean regime, you think they wouldn't want anybody getting out of there? So we'll see.
1: Maybe they just feel confident that there is such a sense of fear of saying anything bad about the regime that even those few Olympians who know um what is happening in the outside world might be pretty hesitant to talk about it because they're public figures at that point they're representing the entire nation on the world stage people are easily going to be able to point back to that famous person and say well this is a person who's saying bad things about kim jong un maybe they're just afraid of maybe the regime thinks they'll just be afraid to tell anybody
0: i wonder if they're sending like north korean like uh, chaperones, to keep them pretty isolated, except for the games. But even there, if you were attending one of those games, that would be a chance to hold up a lot of signs in the stands, you know, t- uh, deriding that North Korean regime. And you would think somebody would, unless they didn't allow it, unless they said, "Now you can't bring that that in here. But Because uh, you figure somebody would. They'd hold up a sign, you know, saying something against North Korea.
1: Yeah, I, I know. It's just... The ramifications of this really are interesting to think about because, yeah, the chaperones would have to keep them from experiencing any of the, the nightlife and any of the, I guess, the, the free commerce that's going on over there. They have uh, quite a successful country in the South and plenty of plenty of attractions and things that you can do for entertainment and enjoyment uh, outside of when you're practicing and playing uh, in the Olympics. Would that? I mean, are they really just going to keep them locked up in the hotel the whole time? How, how is that going to work?
0: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. So, well, that, that's another just really interesting part of the Olympics now to see how that goes. So, uh, anyway, that's a story today. And, of course, that story at thetrumpet.com, North Korea truly an isolated state, question mark.
1: They should call them One Korea, that, that hockey team. Instead of calling them Korea, just call them One Korea. Like, make it make it a symbol of unity somehow.
0: Yeah, I wonder what flag they
1: play under. Maybe like, maybe just maybe just make a totally different one. Not half and half. Just just totally make a new flag, and
0: maybe that's a step
1: to something. Who knows?
0: Yeah, maybe some of the big U.S. companies could try to convince them like to use the Coke symbol or something. <laughs> Sell their flag. <laughs> yeah, brought to you by Coca-Cola. They're always trying to bring peace to the world, isn't (laughs) isn't that what they tried to do in the 70s? They do
1: have some beautiful
0: ads. (laughs) Just wanted to buy the world a Coke or something. Uh, Make sure you listen for the Trump Daily Radio Show coming up today as well with your host, Stephen Fleury. talked uh, today about history, remembering history, and uh, just highlighted the fact that history is something that's not given much uh, priority in uh, U.S. education especially. And even there's a story that came out recently about... um, uh China teaching some of their history in US colleges but teaching a very specific version of it where it's their version of history and so the 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 I guess the controversy as well but what they're teaching isn't it it's it's their very specific version of history why would a US university allow them to teach their version when that's not the the, to- the, the total story of things so, but they're allowing it in some places. So, so it is interesting how it seems like in the US people are very uh, the educational institutions are very open to teaching any sort of history, but they don't want to teach US history. Certainly they don't want to teach Bible history, but they're open to China's history or Native American history or any any group of people but not really they're ashamed of their own history.
1: And that is uh, really pathetic and it just shows you that they they do think that America is the number one oppressor nation in the world. If any other nation is having problems, probably America caused it somehow. I mean, you do hear that from people on the left pretty consistently. They, they frequently say that America was never great, that it has a history of bigotry and racism like none other, which that is blatantly untrue if you look around anywhere, Um and meanwhile, China still to this day glorifies Mao Zedong, who who killed tens of millions of his own people. Uh, that just that's the type. That's probably the type of history that's being taught at U.S. universities. Somehow glorifying someone like that. How can we allow that to happen to our young people? That is ter- terrible brainwashing.
0: Yeah, and there's a really good write up at uh, pcog dot org which is a website for the Philadelphia Church of God and has lots of great articles and write-ups and literature there. And this is, a, this is an article from uh, Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry, A Law of History. And we're going to spend the rest of today taking a look at some of the highlights of this article. And it talks about learning lessons from great leaders of the past and how that's critical to nation, national well-being. And he writes that today we hear many academic voices telling people that learning history is of little or no value, especially if it's U.S. history. So this is an extremely dangerous trend that may be too entrenched ever to correct, you know, at least in terms of the way the universities are today. He says this educational plague is rampant among the American and British peoples. It seems that few of our leaders understand what a colossal disaster it is. Syndicated columnist George Will wrote in December of 2001 that when history is taught at all nowadays, if it is, often it is taught as the unfolding of inevitabilities, of vast impersonal forces. The role of contingency in history is disparaged. So students are inoculated against the undemocratic, quote-unquote, notion that history can be turned in its course by great individuals. And... So there's this idea, like he says, where, well, things just happen, there's nothing you can do about it, and they don't highlight the fact. The the true fact that a very good or great leader can come along and change history, like a Churchill, like a George Washington, or leaders can come along that are terrible, like a Hitler, and they also change history. And a lot of times it gets back to one strong leader.
1: Yeah, and if you do apply that to Mao Zedong, like I mentioned uh what if those history teachers are just saying well there was a horrible famine that killed that killed tens of millions of people and they conveniently leave out the fact that one man's policies caused that type of death and suffering that's obviously a horribly inaccurate way to paint that history to leave out the dominant figures in history just it just makes it seem like well things happen there's no control over over how it happens um, you know, America won the Revolutionary War, um, but not because of any of its awesome leaders, not because of the morality of its leaders. Um, and those things are just inaccurate. It's it's wrong to look at history that way and not point to uh, great leaders. Even, even just in our personal lives every day, we see examples of leaders and how they can make all the difference. One person can make all the difference in a business, in a family, in an entire nation it's just it's just obvious uh from personal experience that leaders do make a huge difference,
0: yeah, and we see something happening of course now in just the u s in particular, probably Britain as well, is that they are starting to look at individual leaders, but in a negative context, they have to tear down the statues of people because they did something bad one time um Even to the point where it got so out of hand, they were trying to rip down Abraham Lincoln's statue, (laughs) who was very, very much instrumental in getting rid of slavery. They were going to tear his statue down for some reason. They they
1: didn't even recognize him. No. I mean, just total foolishness that uh, it just exposes the whole movement that these people know nothing about actual American history. If they did, Abraham Lincoln is the last person's
0: statue they'd be tearing down. Absolutely. But even, say they go back and they say, well, we want to tear down Thomas Jefferson's statue. Well, Thomas Jefferson and the founding fathers, they created the Constitution, which enabled President Lincoln then to come along and make some changes. Because even if you read some of the history of Thomas Jefferson, although in the time period he was in, yes, there was slavery. Yes, he had some slaves. He didn't think it was the right direction to go. And so he was thinking forward ahead to future generations and how to get it out of the country. And his, he had writings that, that indicate that. So it's like anything. If you are, if you are living in a particular time period where everybody's doing something, it's very hard to just say, you know, I will change it immediately today because not everybody's going to follow you. But they did get the ball rolling to where later then, president I mean, President Lincoln didn't just like make stuff up out of the thin air. I mean, he really looked at the Constitution. And because the argument about, say, slavery, for example, really came down to two, to two different sides arguing about what the Constitution was about. And Abraham Lincoln said, you know, this is for the, the right to have a chance for freedom and success for every person. The other side said, yeah, but that just means white people. And they lost out. Because the Constitution, in in fact, does talk about every person. So when they're going back and tearing down some of those statues, it was their writings, those men's writings that allowed then the President Lincoln to come along, interpret it correctly, and make the change that was needed. But again, if you don't know anything about history, you just join the mob and rip the statue down.
1: True. I mean, that's exactly what we've seen happening. Just people with out-of-control emotions, no factual basis for what they believe, just going on a rampage and trying to destroy these monuments. And even if they are monuments of Confederate leaders, uh, there are admirable traits in those leaders. They did uh, they did fight for something they thought was valuable. And uh, to tear that down just shows a total disdain for history as well. There's nothing wrong with having a Confederate monument here and there to remind us of the sacrifices of the Civil War and how this nation did fundamentally change, it could to this day still be two different nations. And to r- remind us that that's not the case because of really God's intervention, there's nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong with having history to remind us of that. And, I mean, even even if you just look at, like you mentioned, um, slavery being a part of everyday life, I mean, it, it was because... That was like the key to economic survival in the South. They couldn't have even run their plantations and produced economically the way that they did uh, without slavery. And it's hard to fundamentally change that system overnight. It was going to take a lot of sacrifices. So naturally, people in the South were pretty hesitant to make those changes. It did take a war to break them of that of that dependency on slaves and and, and help them realize that there are other ways to make sure that the work
0: gets done and remembering that history is is so vital because you can look at where we were as a nation at that time and where we are today and what you see i mean besides the <laughs> the destruction of the country because of a lot of these uh, social changes and getting away from god's law but if you just look at that trajectory of slavery to to today it's there's been a vast improvement what other nation have you ever seen historically that's done that where you they have of their own free will released uh, uh, something that they were using for economic gain very very rarely do you see that but that's not even that's not even really looked at today now it's it's still looked at like well there's just all these problems out there I mean we just we just had MLK day what was it Monday and uh, I just thought the irony of it is you know they play a lot of NBA games on that day and uh, there was what, like a couple of fights broke out. <laughs> the guys are fighting each other in the basketball games. Yeah. You know, uh, nothing to do with race or anything. But they were just. I thought, well, here, aren't what are they? Isn't this supposed to be like a day of, you know, justice and and peace and all this? And, and the commemorative basketball games have people, you know, trying to fight each other in the locker rooms. So, uh, <laughs> not not great, uh, not great fruits on some of those uh, different situations. Very
1: true. And if you hear a lot of those. Basketball players talk about it. They they talk about MLK Day as if it's all about advancing the black cause, which is not at all what MLK talked about. It was about judging people based on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Uh, we've we've come to a point where the main thing people focus on now is either your gender or your color of your skin, and people are forgetting that we're all human beings. We all have uh, a common potential uh, as endowed to us by our creator, which is in, again, that's in the, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Those are documents that we should revere because we are all human beings with that same potential. Uh, instead, people like Martin Luther King and and a lot of our foundational leaders in this country are being used as
0: tools for the radical left to try to change the country. And that's, again, it's why history, knowing history is so important to understand where we're heading and, and see the direction. I mean, even if you just have a good historical understanding, you can see where the country's heading. Mr. Fleury points out in this article, he says, learning lessons from great leaders of the past is critical to national well-being. If we respect and emulate those heroic virtues of history, then we will prosper and survive. But if we cast them off, forget about them our nations are doomed to decay and dissolution that is the law of history you can look at leaders that have been successful and say okay i won't i'm gonna do what they did because then i'll be successful and then you look at leaders who are not successful and say well i'm not going to do that for that reason whether it be a leader or a movement um communism has it been successful you don't have to guess i mean there's a history there Socialism Has it been successful? We don't have to guess. We can look back on history and say it has not worked. We have living history all around us. Communist nations today, even though they're on the rise somewhat just because of Bible prophecy, but uh, but just the, the way it is for the people. Uh, socialism today, you can look at certain countries that are just imploding that are socialist right now. You can just look at the history, and you don't even have to go that far back and, and see what worked and what didn't. And it's not it's not going to change somehow like what well, it didn't work for the past 300 years, but now we got to figure it figured out. And I think there's that thought out there that, that history is irrelevant and we'll just make it up as we go, but we're just going to do the same things. We're going to repeat the same, either successes or mistakes of the past.
1: History has shown us that communism is effective only if you're using it as a tool against your enemies. If you're using it to break down America, for example, that's been happening for decades now. Um, Communism is not just an economic force like Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong wrote. It is a a social force, a military force. It's meant to crush our morale, divide us into groups, uh, eventually cause the entire collapse of our system. Is that not happening right now? I mean, that's, that's what we should have seen coming a long time ago if we just knew what communism was all about it, it does take reading history uh, to understand that though and to realize what a threat it is i mean most people today would probably laugh uh, if if you told them that communism is a threat to america yet it's happening right
0: under our noses mr flurry says our leaders continually show an obsession with their quote new and modern ideas ideas that have been proven over and over throughout history to be failures and a contempt for history and tradition—that is a dangerous problem. The kind of thinking that destroys nations. So, and then he he highlights even what's happening right now in uh, Germany and in Europe. They, people are acting like, "Oh, this is great. Um, you know, Germany is becoming more powerful. Europe is becoming more united in a sense. At least certain <laughs> nations are." What about the history of that? Has that been a good history when that happens? is this a new and modern idea of a of a powerful germany a, a militarized germany and japan and uh, china and russia is this a great new thing or do we have a historical example of it almost destroying the whole world so obviously it's the the, the example of almost destroying the whole world that won't be different this time that's that's the main reason
1: why history is so powerful you can learn from it to avoid making the same mistakes i mean The Arab-Jew conflict is a prime example of that, where uh, since the late 70s, the Jews have tried to give up land in exchange for a promise written down on a piece of paper that the Arabs won't attack them anymore. So they give up the Sinai, they give up even parts within their own nation, uh, and they get nothing in return. And, And in fact, it only encourages outside Arab nations and the Palestinians within their borders to attack even more. Shouldn't they at some point learn that giving up land uh, for the promise that they won't get attacked anymore has never worked, and maybe they
0: should stop trying it. Right. So history is a is a great teacher, and uh, individually in our lives or collectively as a nation, you know we can we can look at examples of success and emulate that and have success, and that's the positive side of it. The negative side is if we don't, <laughs> if we ignore history, then we typically make the mistakes of the past. The article is a law of history. It's, there's a lot in it, and it's really great to go through. It's at pcog.org. You can get that uh, for free today. Check that out and uh, read it. A law of history, learning lessons from great leaders of the past is critical to national well-being. That's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.
1: You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.